0: today on doom turns out we are not all in this together the coronavirus is hitting frontline communities much harder than anywhere else and on this episode of doomed with matt binder we'll break down why that is and what's going on here folks as always you can support this show by going to youtube.com/mattbinder and subscribing to the youtube channel subscribing to the audio podcast version of the show at doomedpod.com, and you can support this show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Binder. Without any further ado, let me introduce you all to my guest tonight, pulling us up on the stream. Here we go. Joining me now is Lucy Block, Research and Policy Associate at ANHD, the Association for Neighborhood and Housing Development. Lucy, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, Lucy, you, and along with the ANHD, put out this great report. And I want to, it's it's actually, it's two different maps we're going to take a look at tonight. And there's a lot of data on these maps, and you're going to walk us through it. And what, what's, you know, to me it it's not really I guess going to be astonishing to my, most of my listeners who follow this show but I still think it's important to get the exact data. Now obviously what we hear in the news is a lot of we're all in this together from, you know, celebs and politicians. We hear uh, you know, today at Andrew Cuomo's uh 11:30 a.m. uh daily conference, he said something like how Don't worry, I'm feeling this too. Trying to make everyone Mm -hmm. feel like, you know, he's in it just like the rest of us. Uh, You know, you have a lot of uh, famous people doing their little live streams, their Instagram streams in their nice, beautiful homes with lots of rooms. Basically, it looks like they could possibly play a full-blown football game right in their living room. And they're telling us how bored they are and how hard this is for them. And obviously, this is something that people who listen to my show know is very angering to me. I can't stop talking about it. I think this is the fifth episode in a row. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, I mean, this data is going to just lay it out bare that these people who are saying this feel-good stuff are doing everybody no favors because it's just not true. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah, I think um, it's really, it's important to look at both What kinds of inequities exist that are going to expose people to coronavirus in ways that are just not comparable at all to people who have the luxury of being safe in their home, having their source of income, um, whose problem is that they're bored and not used to being stuck inside. Um, So there's a huge differential in the kind of exposure that people are facing based on the job that they have, whether they're a frontline worker Um, and then in things like in New York city, um, how far you live from your work, do you have to take the subway and public transit? Like there are many, many people who still have had to get on the subway and get on public transportation. Um, you know, like a bike can be your best option potentially. So many people don't have cars. So there are, there are all those factors. There is health infrastructure to take into account overcrowding, the kind of housing that people are in, people who don't have homes. Um, so there are just so many factors that contribute to the different kind of exposure that people have.
0: Right. And I'm, I'm actually so glad you brought up the public transportation issue up front, uh, even before we've already you know, dived into the the maps and everything. Because one thing I've been wondering about, actually, and I bring it up now, because I don't want to forget it, because it's been really on my mind for for weeks now, is, you know, when you look at the communities where where this is uh, where the coronavirus has hit hardest, um, you you notice in, in my view, I'm I'm in Queens, uh, Flushing, and I notice that uh, the communities hit the hardest are pretty much I mean not you can't tell really from these maps that they're technically right along the seven train line, but the seven train goes through these communities that have been hit, and you know as someone who's lived in Queens my entire life, and the 7 train has been the one and only subway to get to and from the city. I've wondered, actually, you know, does that play a role, not just in general, the public transportation system? Because I think most people, uh, you know, it it seems like it's something that makes sense. But what I'm even saying further is the fact that the 7 train is the one and only subway that goes through these communities. So you have all these people packed on this one option. Do you think from what you've seen in this data that, you know, this, this has added to that, that that the seven train is sort of, you know, having that one option has added to the fact that these communities are basically going through this worse than many others?
1: Um It could. I honestly, I think one of the things that the map shows is that there are a lot of different factors that play into account. And the same thing that is making um, the prevalence of coronavirus just kind of go out of control in one place, like in Western Queens. I'm I'm in Queens too. I'm in Elmhurst. So I'm along the seven train line, but I'm also along four other train lines. Um, that it's not necessarily the same in every part of the city. And you see real overlaps with um, different types of vulnerability or different types of factors. Um, But it's not necessarily going to be one thing that will predict uh where there are these outbreaks of coronavirus across the city and beyond the city
0: right i guess my hang up with the seven train was obviously i ride it all the time but also the idea that you know these people who come from these different areas not just along the seven train line but also you know a lot of these other communities when you look at this map i'll show it on the screen when we when we start talking about it uh, they seem to actually be in areas where. There's maybe one or two subway lines max, and you would assume that being that you know part of another thing we'll bring up when we look at these maps is what a lot of these uh, people who live in these communities, what they do for a living, um, they yeah. go to Manhattan to work. And you would think that you know, even though Manhattan is obviously a richer borough in terms of the people who live there, if these people are working there from these other community from these uh, harder hit frontline communities, if they're working in Manhattan, that ostensibly this virus would have passed on to people in Manhattan, maybe not at the same rate, but higher than what this map seems to show. Um, so my assumption was maybe if you had so many uh, subway lines like Manhattan does, so many different modes of public transportation, uh, along with obviously the buses and being able to obviously ride your bike in Manhattan in ways that you can't do in parts of the outer boroughs, um, you know, if if that could have possibly uh, you know, been one of those factors.
1: Yeah. Um, I think taking into account transportation is important and interesting kind of factor to lay on top of this. Um, in the analysis that we did so far, we were really focusing on, uh, the sectors that people worked in, um, and kind of underlying housing and economic conditions as well as race.
0: Now, let's actually, I'm going to bring this map up on the YouTube channel. Um, let's look at the first one that uh, uh, you and the ANHD put out. Uh, I believe this is the first one. This is, okay, this is the COVID-19 Impact NYC map. And mm-hmm. let me bring it up on the YouTube chat. If you're listening to the podcast, you'll be able to follow along, even if you're just listening to the audio version. Uh, this visual is helpful. You should check it out on uh, the uh, the website which is uh, anhd.org. But if you're listening to the audio version, you'll follow along too, because I'll make sure I... I, It's not just visuals here. We'll we'll be talking through it as well. Uh, Okay, so this map is up on the stream now. And so if you look at the map, let's go talk about this first. Let's talk about the predominant uh, uh, sort of work that the people in these... Community seem to do. Because if you look, you're seeing basically deep red, which means the highest cases of coronavirus are in the Bronx, uh, Western Queens, uh, the outer parts of, you know, deep into Brooklyn, the outer parts of Brooklyn, uh, parts of Staten Island. I mean, Manhattan seems to have, shockingly, for maybe except oh. for Upper Manhattan, and even Upper Manhattan, surprisingly, even when you talk about Harlem and Washington Heights, it seems like yep. they've been shockingly actually luckier than the outer boroughs, even though they are in what I assume would be, you know, more, uh, similar sort of, uh, socioeconomic conditions.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you definitely see the Bronx bright red as a borough and kind of surprisingly also Staten Island. Um, and then Queens is really hard hit, uh, which we've been hearing in the news. But the the part of Western Queens where I am and Elmhurst, Corona, um, and then farther north in the area that includes Rikers Island uh, is really, really hard hit. Um, and then kind of the outskirts, the farther out areas of Southeast Queens, the Rockaways, and like you said, yeah, South Brooklyn.
0: Now, when we say, you know, service workers, as it's labeled on this, what sort of job is we talking about?
1: Yeah, so um, we use census data for people working in the healthcare industry, in food preparation and serving, uh, building and grounds cleaning and maintenance, and transportation and material moving occupations. So this was the broad sectors um, where we were doing our best to capture people who are essential workers and who are going to need to be uh, like out and about and potentially exposed through this time.
0: And now where did... Uh, where did you and uh, ANHD, uh, you know, where is this data from in terms of wh- where are you pulling from to get this uh, information laid out?
1: Yeah, this is the census. So it's uh, it's called the American Community Survey. It's a subsample of the population, and the census uh, takes this. It's, it's not the census that everybody has to fill out this year. Uh, it's called the Long Form Survey, so it's got all kinds of questions about your income and what you do and your means of transportation to work. Um, and uh, they put that out every year. So we take the five-year average and then put it out by by zip code to match um, the data that the New York City Department of Health has been making available because they've been publishing the the cases of the zip
0: code. Now, when you look at this data, there's, there's a number of different points here. Uh, we have the percentage of population with COVID-19. Now, this is just... Uh, when you say with COVID-19, these are people who have been tested and have it, it's unknown exactly the degree at, in which they are uh, symptomatic or possibly even asymptomatic. We don't know.
1: Yeah, but these are people who have been tested. And for the most part, people without symptoms are not getting tested.
0: Right, right, right. And that's interesting because, okay, so when you say, I'm glad you brought this up because it just, uh, when when you say that, the, the, when we talk about the people in these communities, Now, we're talking about people who live specifically in these communities. We're not talking about, you know, for example, a service service worker in Jackson Heights, Queens. They could be spending 12, 18 hours a day not in Jackson Heights, Queens. Right. Yep.
1: So this is where people live, not where they work.
0: And I want to go to this next point because I think it it obviously dovetails with uh, what they do for a living. And that's rent burdened households. Mm-hmm. Can you describe exactly what you're talking about when we're discussing rent burdened households?
1: Yep. So, rent burdened is defined as paying 30% or more of your income towards housing every month.
0: Now, do we do we generally have an idea in terms of because one of the one of the factors that seems to be affecting uh, different populations and we'll get into, you know, race uh, in a minute. But uh, one of the factors that appear to be affecting you know, black, Latino, Asian uh, people in these communities is that a lot of them are multi generational households. Is there any sort of data that, that overlaps with that in terms of do we have actually data on, 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 on these multi generational households?
1: Yeah, it's not something that we've mapped against coronavirus. Um, there is some data on multi-generational households. And I think that um, rent burden could... Yeah, rent burden is not the best for looking at it. But overcrowded households is also a layer we added in here. Um, overcrowding is often the result of rent burden when people you know, the rent becomes so high that they just, you know, have no other options and looking at the neighborhood and potentially the whole city, they can't afford rent. People end up doubling up or moving in with family. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's the result of, um, such high housing costs.
0: Now, obviously, right. Uh, multi-generational households can overlap with, I mean, they can't, there could be some overlap in overcrowded households, but obviously overcrowded households also could be, you know, people living in, you know, six people who are just roommates, friends or something living together, not necessarily they all be the same age or whatever. Not necess- is that, is, is that what we also include in that or.
1: I mean, yeah. So over overcrowding is more than one person per room in the apartment. And that includes, if I'm not wrong, that includes the living room. I don't remember if it includes the kitchen. Um, so, so technically it could, but generally it's going to, it's there, you're going to need more than one person per bedroom for, uh, an apartment to qualify as overcrowded.
0: Now let's get to this next part. Cause there's, there's a, an overarching, I guess, uh, thing I want to get to, um, let's get to the, how it's affecting people of color. Uh, let me pull this up on the map here. So people on YouTube can see. Or if you're watching on Periscope or Twitch or wherever you're watching this, it's multi-streamed. So if you look at, so when we when when we on this map, people of color is Black, Latino, uh, Asian American, uh, anyone I guess who isn't uh, who doesn't check mark Caucasian on the uh, the census. The census, right now, would that actually not consider uh, uh, Latinos being that on the census? They they're supposed to now check mark Latino and then what their ethnicity is and the, and Latino is not considered an, it's it was confusing to me too when I was filling this out. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, it's not simple. And um, what makes it harder to measure this stuff and um, in data analysis is that race and ethnicity is classified differently by different institutions. Um, so what the census uses is not necessarily what the Department of Health is going to use. Um, that being said, uh, the census treats race and ethnicity separately. So you have one category where you've got white, black, Asian, um, and American Indian and some other categories. And then you've got one for Hispanic or Latino origin or not Hispanic or Latino origin. So you can have combinations. Um, and I am doing my best to remember, I know that this, so I, this data is everyone who's not who doesn't classify themselves as just white
0: got it so yeah. so what we're seeing here is obviously for the most part it appears that people living in predominantly black and latino communities are being hit the hardest by coronavirus correct and when you then overlap that overlap that with the other parts of the map which is rent burden households, overcrowded households, service workers, people who you know who work in the service industry, food preparation, uh, you know, janitorial maintenance, transportation. Um, there's a lot of things that all come together in these specific communities that turn them into this this deep red on the map that shows that they have the highest percentage of their population with coronavirus.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the purpose of layering all these things together, is we really wanted to see um, whether the parts of the city that, are, um, that tend to show up as hotspots when you're looking at different kinds of socioeconomic data, uh, if we see a map that looks similar when we map coronavirus. And uh, unfortunately and not surprisingly, we did
0: now i want to bring some of these questions up about this first map now i brought up before about uh manhattan and how it's not being you know it's it's obviously there have been deaths from in manhattan it's you know nothing no one's getting by unscathed and it's very difficult for everyone but clearly looking at the numbers so we could understand what's going on here manhattan has relatively been able to uh get by much easier than the outer boroughs but when you look at Harlem and you know uh, uh, Washington Heights, uh, what what do you think is going on that has helped those two areas of Manhattan sort of escape what the Bronx, which is not you know that far from those two areas, you know what, what they're going through?
1: Yeah, um, I don't think I don't know if I have a simple answer for that. Uh, for the most part, the case rate in Upper Manhattan it is it is higher. Than lower Manhattan except for a couple of spots um but when you look at you know it's it's a little bit of an anomaly compared to other parts of the city in terms of what it looks like socioeconomically um and and also in terms of how many service workers are there um and why it seems to be less hard hit by COVID um so it's an interesting question it's not one I know the answer to
0: yet right because it is it is if you look at this map it is interesting how like you would assume that maybe there would be areas that were were lighter on the map being you know less a percentage of the population with covid19 and then when you see a hot spot area like a red part you would assume maybe the outer areas wouldn't be like you know would be uh a, a slightly lesser color but then when you look at you know jackson heights corona mm-hmm. uh and then you look at Jamaica and Queens. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's what you see there. But when you see, you know, you see that hot spot and then the bur- the uh, zip codes outside, slightly less red, but still they're being hit. And then as you continue to move out, you have less of the population who have it. But with Manhattan going into the Bronx, I feel like you don't see that. You, you know, it's just like, it just like, jumps from this lighter color to this deep red.
1: Yeah. You know, what? You're, the questions that you're bringing up is also bringing up for me um, something that we still are not yet able to answer with the data that we have available to us, which is this is giving us um, positive cases in relationship to the population, which I think is um, a really important place to start. But something else that we have seen really clearly in the last few weeks as um, as governments are making data on deaths available by race is that there are huge discrepancies. And that's something that we don't have geographically the way we do for this data. So we don't have that by zip code, um, but we do know that that black people are dying at twice the rate of white people in New York City.
0: Right. and. Well, I'm glad you brought that up too, because that's another thing that, you know, I had so many questions going into this and I have them written out in front of me, but as we're just talking about it, they just get in there before I planned on getting there, but I better bring them up before I forget. What do you, th- what, what was the whole issue? Cause I know that, you know, we, we started locking down in New York in mid-March, like what the, the 13th, 14th, 15th, somewhere around that, mm-hmm. that time yeah. period. But you know, the days before that there was a lot of talk of what was going on, and seeing we saw saw this coming a little bit. obviously, the lockdown just sort of happened very abruptly, but you know, people were getting sick, and it took you know you and the a, a-, a- n h d put out your first report here a, weeks later in April first, and I'm not saying that to obviously knock you guys. what I'm saying is what took the city so long to put out some of this information? so that you guys could look at the data and map it out and, and create these, these maps where we could overlap them and see how it's affecting these communities?
1: I don't know. Um, the, <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. The, uh, the Department of Health, I mean, I, I have to say that they've actually been pretty responsive to the kind of pressure that advocates, and I know that some elected officials were putting on them to make this this available, um, and I know that they have to get data from hospitals. But in terms of how quickly it would have been possible to start collecting it, I mean, we have test data now that I think about it, we have it starting at the beginning of March, um, so it did take a good three to four weeks to start getting the data break down geographically and get things really detailed, I think people had to push for it, you know, and people didn't know that they needed it until the problem was looking really out of hand.
0: Right, because I, I remember in those, you know, obviously that first week, everyone's just whatever, dealing with what's going on, this this abrupt change in, in, in life. But then I remember in the the, the weeks leading up to uh, this data finally getting out, there was a, a real push, at least from what I was seeing online from people saying, what's going on why don't we have the breakdown of this data why don't we have you know something to look over and try to understand yeah (coughs) excuse me now one last thing before we get to this next map why do you think uh i mean not why do you think because we just discussed why but specifically in terms of uh my neighbors over in the uh, zip code 11368, which is right over from me. Uh, I'm in Flushing, uh, at right mm-hmm. by Main Street. And um, it seems like, uh, I mean, literally, I walk a few blocks and I'm in the zip code. Um, why do you think 11368, I mean, these issues we just discussed, but specifically 11368, why has it been so ravaged by this even when you compare to everywhere else like even when you look at the bronx and jamaica this area of queens just seems like i mean we heard what was happening at elmar's hospital and, and how it was what what the 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 nurses and doctors there were dealing with do we have any ideas specifically in terms of that very specific uh neighborhood what 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 Why? (laughs) I don't know what else to say.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, other than the horrible irony that that's the neighborhood of Corona. um, I, you know, there are, it's it's a really dense place with a really diverse immigrant population in these zip codes where the, the concentrations um, are so high. And um, I don't, I think that overcrowding is an issue. I think that all of the kind of conflating factors around um, people immigrating and having, um, you know, being undocumented, having limited access to information in English, I think that these can all compound and the kinds of things that you have stacked up if you're undocumented. Um, in terms of not being able to go get unemployment insurance, needing to be out working longer um, and later into all of this, uh, working in food industry and transportation. Like there's a really high percentage of people working in these high exposure occupations. And then, like you said, like this is where the seven line goes through and that's the subway line where I get off at, you know, 2 a.m. on a Sunday and that train like there's standing room only. I'm continuously baffled by how many people are on that train line all of the time. Right. Um, and it's like, I can never come up with an explanation and people are working shifts around the clock. Um, and that's why the train is so crowded that late at night. Um, so I think that, you know, people who are working those jobs just don't necessarily have the option of stopping.
0: Right. Now uh you know I want to bring up one more thing about this map that that's interesting to me. Now my uh neighborhood which is the you know it is it is America's Chinatown. We have the largest Asian population uh in I believe the entire country. Um certainly in New York City. And one thing that was happening I and I I've said on this show before that I sort of knew something was not, like, I'm not not saying I'm Nostradamus and knew this was we were going to lock down and everything, but I noticed how serious my community specifically was taking the coronavirus in early February, when on a Saturday, I'm walking down Main Street, Flushing, uh, Saturday night, usually the restaurants are packed, the streets are packed, and it was empty. This is like the first week of Mm. February just sparse people, you know, people are still going out, restaurants, it wasn't like crazy yet, but nowhere near what a regular Saturday night it, on Main Street Flushing is. And I remember seeing, you know, I remember thinking, you know, this is this is weird and mm. it's not, you know, and my assumption, uh, and, you know, we saw a lot of, uh, you know, anti, uh, you know, Asian hate crimes go on in the city. I mean, we're still seeing this all across the country and it's it's horrible. But then you look at the flushing zip code on this map. And you would think if you were someone who was like, yeah, this came from China, it's there, you know, you're some some person who's prejudiced against Asian people and you think, you know, oh, they must be, you know, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to eat Chinese food or something because that's where I'm going to get it. Mm-hmm. Relatively, I mean, we're not we're not as, as you know, this area is not as uh, light on the map as other areas of Queens, but compared to right next door and overall, it, we're not as hard hit and i'm wondering what what you my assumption is uh a like i said uh people who immigrated from uh, from china or other asian countries have dealt with these sort of pandemics before or had family who did uh b uh they live in multi-generational households more likely and that's actually what i've seen in some because i i've noticed that out of all the food uh, establishments in my area that have shut down it's actually been like the Chinese food places that have pretty much all closed fast food, other, you know, ethnicity, uh, uh, establishments. They're pretty much still open. Maybe their times have changed or something like that, but they're pretty much still running. But the Chinese food places have closed, have closed. And I've read interviews where, you know, people who run these places are saying, you know, I live with older relatives. I can't, I can't, mm-hmm. you know, I can't, you know, put it up, like put them, put their lives on the line for this. So, I th- that's what I think. What What do you think from the data, or maybe not even like maybe just from what you've seen as well? If the data doesn't help uh, us understand that,
1: yeah, I mean, what what I I noticed the same thing you did. I mean, there's a stark contrast between Corona and Flushing, right next door. Um, and when you look at the the race breakdowns of the death data, Asians are really underrepresented. Um, so I think that you know, that's the same story as what you're telling. And um, I don't know if people were paying more attention to what was happening in Wuhan. I don't know if it was that people were familiar with what it's like to live through a pandemic, you know, beyond that, I don't, I don't have the answer, but, um, but it's something I saw too.
0: Yeah. It's, it was really, I also want to stress that when I say not hit as hard, I mean, in my neighborhood, there is a, uh, you know, not exactly in my, my general where I live, but in the zip code one one uh, three five eight one one three five four. 11354, excuse me. Uh, I can't believe I had to look for a second. I live in the zip code. 11354. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been in the news because one of the uh, one of the nursing homes in the area had like 25 deaths from coronavirus in okay. a short amount of time. So when I say, now nah, I hate this hard, that's still what we're dealing with here. Uh, but... Generally speaking, when you look uh, at, at the zip codes surrounding uh, Flushing uh, in terms of ones to our west, like Jackson Heights, Elmhurst, Corona, Flushing isn't, uh, you know, like you said, taking it as uh, hard as, as those communities. Yep. Now let's go to this second map real quick, uh, because this one is just as interesting to me. And this map looks at the same thing in terms of percentage of the population with coronavirus. But you break this down by where hospitals have been closing in NY- in NYC as we, you know, leading up to this pretty much. Can you give us some information about, about this?
1: Yeah. Um, so one of the things that NHG really pays attention to is the way our city does uh, land use, which is not always the sexiest of topics, but ends up being really, really important. Um, So the land use uh, laws and decisions that our government makes end up having huge consequences for um, what our neighborhoods look like and the kind of resources that people have access to, um, whether people can afford to stay in their neighborhoods um, and whether they can stay in places that have businesses that are affordable to them and the, the social economic and health infrastructure that they need. Um, and so a question that came up for us as this is all happening is where have hospitals closed through the last um, few decades Um why were they closed? What did they become? Um, and how does that correlate with the kinds of other factors that we're looking at?
0: Now, I had this conversation on. Well, I've been having a lot of conversations on Twitter lately about this sort of this this stuff. But one thing that I've been particular about is, in my opinion, uh, the I, I get so angry when I see these articles about. Uh, oh man! Andrew Cuomo is so dreamy he 's my my new boyfriend he 's my liberal boyfriend it 's truly now i and then, and then getting more specific i 've had conversations with people when I bring up you know how he 's still been cutting uh he, he cut wants to cut Medicaid during this pandemic mm. and also i 've had people tell me what does you know what does he possibly have to do with the closing of these hospitals when I bring up how these hospitals are closed or, you know, are closing. What is the role of Andrew Cuomo and state government in this map? We're looking at here.
1: Ooh. Um,
0: so I, uh,
1: to be honest, I'm more familiar with the role of the city government in, uh, in making these types of land use decisions.
0: You know what? Let's go with that then. Because, (laughs) because, because, you know, I, I think that actually says a lot as well, because, what I think we're seeing here uh, that has always been, I think to people who have been paying attention to the relationship Bill de Blasio and Andrew Cuomo has over the years, I think this has always been obvious to people and uh, who've been paying attention to that, but I think it's brand new to so many people. And I think nothing shows it better than Bill de Blasio coming out just a few weeks ago. That, was it wasn't even a few weeks ago, I think last week, saying how you know public schools are closed for the rest of the year. And Cuomo coming out later that day saying, Bill de Blasio doesn't have the right to do that. What is he? The mayor of New York City? Who is he to say the New York City schools are closed? That's my decision. Now, I don't think people realize just how much state government has say over New York City. Uh, you know, Bill de Blasio does not run the MTA. That's Andrew Cuomo. So, Ooh. So I think, you know, while you're going to dive into the city government part of it, I think there's some things that can be extrapolated in terms of, you know, how much say does New York city have when the budget that they receive is, you know, given to them by the state in many aspects.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. There are a lot of issues where we think that we should have full control over what's happening. And, uh, our transportation system, our housing system, and our school systems are the, are some of the most common areas where we think that Bill De Blasio should be able to wave his hand and make something happen, but the state actually um, gets.
0: I mean, I feel like that's the same, right? I feel like that's how it works in most cities, right? I mean, is is New York City? I mean, I don't know if you know this offhand. I should, I should probably look into this. But mm. I do feel like you don't see this in other cities. Like, we have.
1: Yeah, a lot of it comes out of the 70s uh, fiscal crisis in the States, saying that New York didn't know how to handle its shit, so they were yeah. going to take over.
0: Ah, right. And who was mayor in the 70s? Hmm, interesting. Right. I mean, yeah, all right, let's just continue. <laughs> so yeah. what, what What? role does... Yeah, right, I know. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that. So what What role does... Um. The city government have in what we're looking at here in terms of because if you look at this map for people mm-hmm. who are just listening to the audio, I think I've been pretty good actually about the whole visual thing up until I forgot to explain this whole uh, hospital thing. Uh, the, if you look at this map with the the hospitals, the closed hospitals, I mean it does seem like they're pretty even spread. I mean there there are quite a few in Manhattan actually who clo- that closed down. So so what ex- do do you think? It's just more more so that the idea that so many hospitals completely dispersed all over the city. Like it's pretty even disbursement if you look at this map, you know, upper Manhattan, lower Manhattan, the Bronx, Queens, uh, you know, middle of Queens out in really, you know, western Queens. You got uh, upper Brooklyn, you know, uh, you know, looks like what? Uh, Greenpoint or Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And then you get all the way down uh, lower Brooklyn, looks like maybe Red Hook. Um, and then Staten Island. I mean, these 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 hospital closures seem to be fairly dispersed. Do we is that just more of a, a overall thing to take in about you know the worry that New York wasn't going to be able to handle an influx of people going to the hospital?
1: I mean, there's definitely uh, the factor that we undervalued our health infrastructure and that system, and that that means that we are not as prepared for the crisis. Um, looking at Queens, you've got four hospitals in close proximity to each other one is down the street from uh elmhurst hospital which is the hardest hit um in the city possibly um there were you know we heard about 13 deaths happening in a period of 24 hours um and you have a really really high prevalence of coronavirus so we just looking at where the hospitals have closed I think it gives us um, a much clearer picture of why it's a problem when we have something like this come up. Um, And at the same time, something that we thought was important to look at is like, you know, why do these decisions get made and what happens with this land? Uh, 40% of these hospitals were turned into, um, for the most part, high-end luxury housing that is out of reach for the people who are getting hardest hit by this people who are housing insecure. Um, and the land use legacies of the past decades come back to haunt us. Um, now that we're, we're faced with this, um, we have, you know, a, a f- still quite a bit of public land in the city. Um, but, um, oftentimes our city government will look at that land and say it is worth so much more as apartments. Um, and so what we should do is we should move our stuff around. We should consolidate it into one place or we should rent out somebody else's private building as the government so that we can sell that land. Um, and a developer can build a ton of residential space on there. That is what's going to produce the highest rents per square foot. And that's how we need to look at development in the city. Um, and we waste our public land. We don't use it for what the public needs it for because we're looking at it from like a purely real estate development mindset. So that is that's a major problem that affects us in New York City. It kind of hits us in all kinds of different realms, and um, we are usually looking at the housing realm at ANHD and how that pans out. But um, we thought it was also important to focus on on our health infrastructure.
0: Now, on the same map, you have laid data in that wasn't on the previous map, actually, uh, uh, along with the closed hospitals uh, data point is also the median household income. Now, I'm looking at this and it seems like, you know, again, these these hospital closures are pretty much in high income areas and low income areas, uh, you know. The 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 use of even these hospitals in these lower income areas, do we do we know exactly? Did, high, did like luxury high rises go up even there in these areas that are low income?
1: Yeah, it varies a little bit. But if you take St. John's Hospital um, down the street from from Elmer's Hospital, and very close to where I live. That has become um, luxury housing. They call them lofts, and it's across the street from uh, from the mall. And they actually had. Um, an open house sign uh, when the reports were happening about uh, Elmhurst Hospital being completely overloaded. They they were out marketing their apartments. You know,
0: it's. It is, you know, it is, you know, I, I'm honestly, I can't understand the idea behind closing hospitals and putting high rises up. It just baffles me. I mean, it's just. Stunning, even even though it shouldn't, be, it's it's like technically not surprising. Like if like I'm, I'm not like whoa, I had no idea, but just it's just the the thought process that goes behind there. Now, do you do you think that this is really what, what do you think is going to happen going forward in terms of like does the A and know you guys do a lot of work with with um like, like you said with uh, you know land use and housing developments. Do we think this is I mean obviously it's too early to tell right now who knows what the world is going to look like and when it's going to look like whatever it ends up looking like that uh but do we do we think that this is going to really change how things were proceeding because I mean in my perfect you know my perfect world obviously uh this wouldn't be happening but if it did happen in my perfect world we would all take a good look at where we were you know where society was going how we were doing these things how we were you know putting certain things like wealth and luxury high-rises on a pedestal. And we would then rethink our healthcare system, how we use land, uh, housing. Uh, I mean, I know it's not on these maps, but uh, it's what you guys deal with all the time. We have April 1st came and went and there was zero protections uh, pretty much uh, laid out for people who rent, for tenants. Mm. The only thing they were promised is you can't get evicted right now. Well, great. That's nice. If you don't pay your your rent, and you know your landlord wants to evict you, you have a few months to sit in a house where your landlord hates your guts, and then it's going to evict you when this is all over as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Exactly. Um, so what do we want to see going forward? Um, we We know that we're bad at learning from our mistakes, but I think one thing that Um, that was important to do with this map and this analysis is draw the line between uh, the failures we made in the past uh, and the ways that it's impacting us today um, because we don't do a good job in New York City of looking at our history over a period of decades and looking at development decisions that we made and figuring out how that's affecting us now. Um, And we do completely piecemeal development-driven decisions in the city, we don't plan out what we need as a place, as one place that operates as an entity. Um, So ANHD has been focused on pushing comprehensive planning that would be equitable in the city, that would actually take into account what different communities have and need and allocate resources, depending on those things, rather than Uh, individual decisions about rezoning a neighborhood or a few blocks here and there based on, you know, very kind of small scale interests in that land. You take the interest of the developer who owns it and what they can maximize and potentially, you know, some of the surrounding community Uh, you're not taking into account what that neighborhood has or doesn't have versus one a borough over. Those decisions really matter. It matters that every neighborhood in New York City have adequate access to hospitals, to the schools they need, to affordable housing, and to jobs. Um, So I think that this map really shows us the importance of actual equitable comprehensive planning in the future
0: you know one one thing that i just just you know I, I just thought when we were discussing uh all this is uh, a lot of these you know luxury high rises that go up uh do have to have like affordable housing set aside and haven't there been a lot of these cases where uh those specific uh you know units have almost like a different like they're in the same building but they're almost in a different building like they have different entrances and things like that. Isn't that something that's sort of rampant or is that maybe more specific to just certain places?
1: It was a a big problem. I remember in 2016 there were some changes um, to try to regulate that and make sure that developers needed to make those apartments look the same as the other ones, but they... They find ways with amenities because, um, you know, the market rate tenants will have immediate access to the amenities in the building, but the affordable housing tenants will have to pay extra for them. Um, and I don't think that the the requirement to give people the same quality of housing um, is true for all types of affordable housing programs that we have. I think it's only true for some.
0: Right, right. What 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 I have in this fantasy scenario where. We obviously will never have this data because it's so niche, this idea. But to be able to see if there was, if, if the difference of people who, uh, if it exists, sounds possible to me, plausible, of people who had a coronavirus living in the same building, but are part of this like separate separation. Like folks who are paying for the, paid the big bucks for their nice luxury apartment, and then the people in that same building who have to go in a side entrance because they have the affordable housing unit. That would be, I mean, I don't know, <laughs> an interesting look.
1: Yeah, I don't have that for you. Yeah, yeah
0: I don't think any. It sounds like something that only exists in my my mind, to be honest. <laughs> but I, I appreciate you uh, hearing me out on that. Um, you know, uh, Lucy Block of ANHD, thank you so much for joining me today and helping me break down this data. I've been looking at it since you guys put it out, and it's so – you know, just to click those little, if you, again, if you haven't, you know, if you're listening to the audio or you're even just watching the live stream, go to anhd.org and view the maps yourself, click the check marks so you could see where things overlap. And it just like, you know, you hear these things, some of it may seem obvious, but to see it and see how this breaks down, it's still something that that's super, super interesting to me. Uh, and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to break it down with me.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Matt.
0: Take care. Have a good night. You too. All right. Bloop, bloop. There goes Skype. And oh, I forgot to ask her. I wanted to ask, um, based on what Donald Trump said in his, uh, his conference today, his coronavirus uh, presser, um, would you recommend either injecting Clorox or lysol to fight coronavirus. Darn. Uh all right. Let's go to the <laughs> let's go to the patron only half of the show. Uh Patreon.com slash Matt Binder. You can support this show. Uh if you can, if you can do so financially. I really appreciate it. We are literally two patrons away from hitting the goal for the first time. <laughs> Every time I get close, something happens, and we have a slew of patrons say, oh, I, got, you know, I have to cancel. I'm so sorry. I'll be back as soon as I can. Every time. But we are closer than ever. Patreon.com slash Matt Binder. Um, again, if you cannot afford to do so right now, especially. I totally get it. Do not put your money down if you can't, please. If you lost your job, if you're unemployed, if you're living off 1200 bucks, all that ooh, that sweet $1,200, please, please don't. You can support this show if you're in those situations by subscribing at youtube.com slash Matt Binder, leaving an iTunes review or a Google Play review, wherever you leave your podcast reviews, by subscribing to the podcast at com, telling all your friends about the show, telling your favorite podcasters and YouTubers and Twitchers about the show. Tell them you want to see me on their show and vice versa. You want them on my show. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Matt Search for me on all the other social networks, Matt Binder, and follow me all over, too, whether it be Instagram, Facebook wherever tick i don't mean use it but i'm there uh yeah that's the deal um that's that's the deal my friends <sighs> hope everyone's hanging in there uh you know we're we're now a month into this uh so far the worst case scenario models have been avoided. And that is, you know, one thing I really, there's a lot of crap out there and after this episode and discussing these communities that are just being decimated um, comparatively to everybody else, one thing that has been truly uh, inspiring to me is if you had told me that this country would have to lock down and everyone would have to stay inside for the good of not just, you know, people's individuals, in the, you know, in the individual, uh, their individual self, I should say, but for their neighbors and people in their community and just, you know, society in general. We live in a society. I would have said, you know, There's way too many a-holes in this country to, to successfully do that. It would never happen. And yes, we see the a-holes who are protesting, who want to reopen because they don't understand that one of the reasons why we avoided the worst case scenario models is because what we're doing now. But that is a very small subset, it seems, of, of people. The majority of this country seems to be abiding to these lockdown orders, these stay-at-home orders, these self-quarantine requests uh, as best as they possibly can. And it is, it is, I mean, I said a lot on this show that this is shocking and then I add the clarification that, you know what I mean. I mean, it's not surprising to see this because I know that's how shit is, but it still hits you. This is actually something that has been surprising to me. Because I would have expected the opposite. I would have expected that uh, most people uh, would, uh, maybe not most, but a much bigger number would not have listened to this. And it's, 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 you know, maybe we're not as far gone as I thought, as a country. We're close, but not as far gone as I had thought. So that's my little uh, high note during these terrible times. Stick around for the patron only show if you're a patron subscriber or if you're tuning into the live stream uh, lots of content since i've been home i've been doing more than one episode a, a week i'm gonna try to keep it going and the episode- and if I do do one episode a week like uh, uh uh they are really long, like for example uh Saturday night's episode with Jared Holt, where we watched a two and a half hour we took two and a half hours to watch the QAnon documentary. Uh, I appreciate everyone for the kind words and rave reviews of that. I had a lot of fun doing it. Check it out if you haven't already. Otherwise, see you all next time Undoomed. We are back on the show. Hello, everybody. If you're watching on the YouTube live stream, uh, you can see that my face mask that I ordered has finally arrived. Uh, I'm going to take it off now because I can tell that the sound is going to be muffled, talking into a face mask. Uh, yeah, in in Flushing on Main on Main Street, Main Street I said Main Street on Main Street, like the, the count on Main Street. Ha ha, ha. On uh, on Main Street, there were people, uh, you know, trying to sell right off the street. Uh, disposable N95 face masks for uh, 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 price gouging for way more than they should be selling them for and people in the community were giving them tons of shit as they walked by. Um, But yeah, it took a while for those masks to come. My son has a cute little mask. We got him too. Um, I don't know... Uh, This is for the four-year-old. The baby doesn't have a mask because the baby's not going to wear a mask. The 10-month-old is not going to leave a mask on her face. She's 10-month-old. She's going to be 11 months tomorrow. Happy 11-month birthday, Enid. Um, She will be 11 months, well, maybe today if you're listening to the show today. Or maybe it's a belated birthday if you're listening to the show after uh, the live stream. Uh, Ryan says your beard is making your mask ineffective. Right. I saw that CDC thing. Uh, sorry, the beard's not going. Sorry. Uh, I don't know if you guys have this going on in your your communities right now. But the signs are starting to go up around here that say, um, you know, the takeout only signs have always been there. But now there are signs I've noticed that say, uh, do not enter if you're not wearing a mask. Um... So, sucks because masks aren't as easy to come across yet, um, but you're going to need a mask. You're going to need the mask. All right, let's go to the comments. <clears throat> um, Renee says, the eugenics of the class war and frontline workers, i.e. the Bronx being hit the hardest. I just realized I did not use the term class war in that first half. What a what a stunning oversight on my part. I'm 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 actually disgusted with myself for for not saying that. I mean, I think I inferred in many ways when we were talked about the luxury high-rises and really a tale of two cities when we discuss how people live in some areas. Um uh, but really disgusts myself for not bringing up the two words class war uh, It's all right sometimes you're you're on top of everything and other times you think you got everything, but you missed a few things uh, oh Renee, you know about those caterpillar buses and uh Oh, you're talking about it somewhere else, but yeah, we got them too. With like the two connected buses that look like they have the the mid part right in the middle that like looks like they were suction cupped together or whatever. Oh, Zoe asks, why can't you ride a bike in the outer boroughs? Well, you can, but a lot of people travel from the outer boroughs into Manhattan to work, and depending on where you live in the outer boroughs, you really can't do that. Like for example, I live in New York City. I live in Queens. I live on the seven train line. I live on the last stop of the seven train line takes me anywhere from about 40 minutes to an hour, just to get into Manhattan on the subway. You can ride that via a bike every morning. If you want, you'll be really tired by the time you get to work. You'll also have to leave a lot earlier, wake up a lot earlier. I don't know how long it would take, two, three, probably not even two, two, three, four hours. I don't even know. It would take a while, it seems like. I don't know. I've, I've never ridden a bike. Uh, to be honest with you, I can't ride a bike. But uh, <laughs> So, uh, Zoe, if you're asking me why can't I ride a bike in the Outer boroughs, it's because I actually physically cannot ride a bike. Don't know. Never learned. Really bad at it. Don't have the balance for it. <laughs> but I also answered the more general question that I think you were really asking. Renee says, I feel like a Beastie Boys song about the Burrows coming on. Brooklyn, Queens, Bronx, and Staten. Right, right. Um IAFC, my punk band, had a song where we shouted out the five boroughs. Uh we we had that song out before the Beastie Boys did theirs. Uh it's the truth, actually. When did that song come out? Hold on, I gotta check it out. I'm positive it came out before, because we we shouted it out in a very similar fashion, actually. Uh, uh, an open letter to New York, right? That's what it was called, right? 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 Hmm, Open letter to NYC. They released it in November 2004. We made that song in winter 2003. So, sorry, Beastie Boys. We were the first to shut out the five boroughs during that time period. (laughs) Um, Let's go back to the comments here. Uh, oh, my dad answered the question for Zoe as well. He's in the chat. Some people in outer boroughs do ride bikes into the city. But once you get to your place of work, there may not be places to leave them safely. That too, and also everything I said. Uh, Corey says, Oh, I should have asked this of Lucy. I didn't see this. Corey on Periscope says, Do you think we're going to see a shift in how we approach housing in a post-pandemic world? We should. But do I think we will? No. No. And I actually think housing is going to be one of the areas that the fight is going to be hardest for. There really is little been little movement on that front, to be quite honest with you. Like Medicare for all, as hard as that's going to be, at least we're at a place where it's, it's really popular. And a lot of people are now saying, yeah, we should, health care is a right. You pose that same question, is shelter, is housing a right? And I don't think we're there yet. I mean just look at I can tell you right now, in in certain you look in certain areas online, you can find uh neighborhood like Facebook groups that are full on complaining about tenants not paying their rent during all this and sincerely doing the whole woe is the landlord thing, like acting like landlords are the most i don't know vulnerable people on earth it, it is stunning to see to be quite honest and i think a lot of people feel that way uh mo- more people than should that the idea that a large population a large portion of the of this country has to pay someone every month a huge chunk of their salary just to just to be able to have a, sh- a roof over their head That they don't own, that they they won't be able to, you know, recoup that money if they ever have to move by selling the property because they don't own the property. There's a whole class of people that own that own these, these these that owns housing and they have their mortgages being paid off by the renters. And I mean, they 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 have all this property that they're cost them nothing. They're probably making a lot of them make money off the the, the tenants. Uh, some of them, even it's their full time. I'm talking even just, I'm talking about um, mostly even just people like not even the big, like real estate company businesses. I'm talking about people who just invest in real estate. Um, you know, I, I, and there's people who think, yeah, that's a legitimate business. A lot of older people do that, which is why that's problematic as well. I mean, when it comes to healthcare, old people obviously aren't as supportive of Medicare for all as the rest. But when it comes to Medicare for all, we're just asking them to share what they already got without losing anything. Housing. There's a lot of old people who invest in real estate, and if you dare try to bring up something about a different world where we're not, you know, attached to our rent, I mean, they will. They, you you want to bring voters out? <laughs> Old people will come out in bigger droves than ever to to save their that that shit. I could guarantee it. I I truly think that's gonna be one of the hardest areas to. To make movement on. Um, let's go back to the comments here. Uh, Jeff, the leftist on Periscope, points out West Harlem is more affluent than East Harlem. Um, Zoe is shocked that there's a part of Queens called Jamaica. Mm, and I think I made it, I, I guess I should have made it more obvious to people who don't live in New York City. But but I think if you were listening, you you were following along. We laid it out up front. Latino and Black communities are predominantly being affected by this. So the communities I would name that were probably predominantly hit: Jackson Heights, Corona, Elmhurst, Jamaica. Uh, those are predominantly Latino and Black communities. Jamaica is a predominantly Black uh, neighborhood in Western Queens. I sort of went into that episode trying to really be as I don't know, I prepared in a way that I was like, all right, this is going to be an episode that anyone can listen to. uh, So let me make this palatable for everybody, I guess. It wasn't done purposefully. But now that I think about how I prepared for it, I I might have been thinking that way when I was writing my questions and and notes. Uh, My dad points out that East Harlem only serviced by four or five express lines, six local. West side has one local, two, three express and the ACDB lines. It's a great point, dad, which makes me think I may be onto something that it's not just the public transportation in general It is the options and how well served by public transportation. It's less packed than East side lines, right? Uh, Renee says, "Not Koreatown. Um, there's a big Kore- There's a Koreatown here in Flushing. Yes. Um, I didn't want to bring it up as the most because I'm actually not sure. I'm pretty sure there's what areas of California that probably have a bigger Koreatown. But I know our Chinatown is the biggest in New York City, if not the biggest in the country." I believe it actually might be the biggest Asian community outside of China in the entire world, actually. Um, You know, I'm considering releasing this members half later in the week for everybody because I think this is a really important conversation we're having to help even further explain the first uh, half of the show. Uh, Because I think maybe as I'm talking to you guys in a more conversational tone... Uh, obviously there's some New Yorkers here in the comment section, we're breaking down the demographics of where we discussed in the first half at a much deeper level. Because obviously I was focused on the data that we were looking at on that map in the first half. So maybe I'll do that. I'll give it to you members, patrons first. I'll wait a couple. I'll probably put it out over the weekend. Maybe later in the weekend, maybe after the weekend, maybe like Monday or Tuesday next week. Zoe says, why is it called flushing? I can't help but think about a toilet. Sorry. Right, I mean, that's a joke you could have. I'm actually not sure. Uh, Never really. uh, (laughs) My dad will probably drop it in there. Oh, there you go. My dad did. Early settlers were Dutch. Flushing was a city in Holland. There you go. Uh, Umar says Italy has the most corona, so you need to do you need to doubt Italians. Don't go to Little Italy. I gotta tell you, there's not much of Little Italy left in New York. There really isn't. It's unfortunate. Uh, there's not much of a Chinatown left in uh, Manhattan either. That whole area is. Uh, I do know that you know, Astor place around St. Mark's where used to be like a, uh, known for the subculture. You know, it was like a whole block of punk rock, uh, t-shirt stores, thrift shops, record stores, that area is completely changed. And a bunch of like Japanese ramen places have opened up, you know, uh, Japanese establishments that it's now called little Tokyo. And that's probably one of like the few off the top of my head, uh, areas like that have actually developed new developments there instead of us losing like Chinatown and little Italy, uh, because the city has become so expensive. Um, so he says the U S the U S is full of cities named after known European cities. For some reason, it's weird. You know, thinking about it, did I even make it clear that the whole episode was going to be so New York City-centric? I mean, I guess it makes sense if I'm talking about the communities hit hardest by coronavirus. And we are literally talking about uh, New York, which obviously, compared to even other states, there's been no place hit harder. We have somewhat like... 250,000 plus cases in the whole state with the large majority being in New York City. New York City is the epicenter. The five boroughs are where most of the cases are. I said epicenter, the epicenter. Um, the state closest to us, New Jersey, obviously both location-wise and what I'm talking about in terms of number of coronavirus cases has not even hit six digits yet so new york is really and again this is based on testing so we don't really i I think new york actually probably end up having more as well as all the other states but we really have so i guess it's obvious the second half of the show probably definitely has to go up with the first half (laughs) my dad points out manhattan named after native americans who live there same on long island Ryan says, I love Lucy so much better than her dad, Walter. Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't think of that. For those who don't know, there's a running gag for former and current members of the majority report. Um, there is a libertarian professor, yes, a professor named Walter Block, who has debated Sam a handful of times on the show. A uh, few of them were when I was there, and I believe one was after I left. And you just have to go watch the, the honestly have to watch them yourself. Some of the funniest content you will ever hear in your life, truly. Just uh. here's a little shout out for people who know what I'm talking about. Oh, hey Sam, have you played chess? You ever played a little game called Chess, Sam? Wait, 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 wait! Shut up, Sam! Shut up! Oh my God! So he says Walter was so bizarre, honestly. Ryan says Bullprog is the goat for that song and video. Oh, there's a my dad says there's a cedar cat debate. All right. Um who is the cat debate? Who what are you talking about? Oh right, you texted me about this. I was thinking for a second, I totally forgot all about that. Right, creationist cat did a thing with Sam, Cedar from the Majority Report, right. Um Let's see. Grim in the chat is no fan of Michael Brooks. Are you Grim? So he says Matt should interview Walter next all right wait uh did Anna leave t y t Asked grim did did Anna leave young Turks? I haven't seen that Umar says when I was doing the patreon uh call before if you don't have the money, take a loan and sponsor Matt right. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> Grim does not like the Michael Brooks universe, does he? If you want me on Casual Friday on the Majority Port, you guys need to email Sam. It worked. He had me on early this year because you guys contacted him. Zoe says, Matt should do gaming Twitch streams with Matt, actually. I'd be down. Let him know that. Grim says, I should do Twitch streams with Sean of Antifada. I'd be down with that, too. Zoe says, the Matt Jamie episode was one of my fave, honestly, of the majority port. Right. Why, thank you. And I was really sick That episode too I was honestly like just Probably the sickest I've been in years And I still came in And did it And you're saying That was one of your Favorite episodes? My dad says How I'm still waiting How Matt is still waiting For a callback After doing Sam That solid for guest hosting With Jamie When he had family obligations Right? Rad Dad says, I am not cutting my hair until I start losing it. Oh, because there was a discussion. Okay, because Grimm said, I'm not cutting my hair until Trump is out of office. I'm not, I, you know, I I uh, trim my hair every couple months. Because there's a point where it gets so long that I, I hate how it feels. But I like long hair. Um, I like how it looks. And also, uh, I got, obviously, I will not have it forever. So I'm going to fully take advantage of it while I got it. You know what I mean? Uh, Matt and Jamie should do more shows together more often, right? Listen, I'm not gonna trim my beard to make my mask more effective, Lord Arion. Not doing it. (laughs) Umar says just wear a lucha mask. Zoe says I don't have any mask. I wear a scarf when I go out. Yeah, I have the scarf too, and we're using different face coverings up front. But also, um, it's it's getting hotter, and I'm going to get a very sweaty beard and neck. (laughs) Um, Grim says, I think gloves are more important than masks, but eh, I need to get gloves. I agree. I, I actually think that's a good case, yes. But as my dad points out following up, some stores make you take off gloves though. Yeah, it's, I, it's, I think the masks I think are supposed to be more predominant, more effective because coronavirus specifically spreads mostly through the air when people sneeze. Like direct someone coughing or sneezing in the general direction of you in, in close quarters, which is why social distancing six feet is so important. Yes, it lives on things that those people touch, but I think there's various... Variab- various variables <laughs> that make that not as effective in terms of the virus getting you sick as your face. From my understanding, that you know, touching something and getting the, the virus on you in that way still requires you to touch your, your nose, your mouth, your face, some sort of orifice where this virus can get inside you. If you stay away from that, you can you control that, obviously. It's hard, obviously, because people just naturally touch their face, scratch their nose, whatever. I, I get it. But if you monitor that and you take care of that, you, you don't have to do it for long. Just constantly make sure you're using um, hand sanitizer, washing your hands. You can make sure it doesn't get you sick, even if you have it on your hands or whatever. But, obviously if something is just flying in the air and you're just breathing as normal, your mouth is just open as normal, like you're just, you know, it's doing what you're doing or whatever, it's, it's harder to to have some sort of, you know, say in that, control over that. So I think that's why the mask is more predominant. Uh, you know, it makes sense. Uh, Midnight Pizza says, I have a few, uh, Masks my mom's made me. Jack on Periscope says, numbers are totally fake. We have no idea of real COVID death count. Well, if you're saying there we don't know the real COVID caused death count because it's too low, the, the the numbers, I agree with you. We don't know how many. This is the at least number. If you're pushing the conservative right-wing uh, trope that the numbers are actually lower because they're just chalking everything up to coronavirus. Uh, anything could, nothing could be further from the truth. There's some idea out there within the right circles, the right wing circles, that oh, if someone dies of asthma and they have coronavirus, but the asthma is what killed them, then they didn't die of coronavirus; they just happened to have coronavirus. How often do an otherwise otherwise healthy people die of asthma. We're seeing people, underlying conditions that people are able to live with for many, many years, decades, suddenly drop dead in a matter of days or weeks because the coronavirus exacerbated their conditions. So, yeah. I've seen some stupid, like, memes out there of, like, someone getting into a car accident or something and, like, them getting decapitated or something like that. And... They do a test and that person had coronavirus. That, oh, chalk it up to death by coronavirus. Ha ha ha. Very funny. That's not the equivalent. I guess, in your scenario, I guess, let me think of an equivalent. The equivalent would be if the coronavirus was a, uh, 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 all of a sudden grew into a humanoid form, grabbed your, uh, your wheel that you were driving and purposely turned it. Uh, so you flew off a bridge and perfectly got decapitated, trying to actually kill you. Then, yeah, uh, that would be the equivalent. So dumb. Um, always check the chat, Matt, says Renee. Oh, also makes sense because, um... Did I miss super chats? I totally forgot. To sh- two shows in a row, I forgot to shout it out. If you believe it, I forgot to shout out super chats <laughs> during the friggin' two and a half hour long episode I did with um uh Jared on Saturday. That's how dumb I am. <laughs> uh, okay, good. I haven't missed any super chats which also means I did a terrible job letting people know about Super Chats because I was getting Super Chats every show and the two I forgot to mention, there goes the Super Chats, none. Um, Zoe says, there's only five boroughs of New York. That seems small. I got to say, I know fuck all about New York. I mean, the boroughs are quite big. I mean, each one is an island except for The Bronx, I think, right? Yeah. The Bronx is connected to the larger New York State massive land. Manhattan is its own island. Staten Island is its own island. Brooklyn and Queens are both a part of Long Island, which also um, contains Nassau and Suffolk counties that aren't part of New York City. That's more technically called Long Island, even though, again, Queens and Brooklyn are on physically Long Island. The ma- the landmass known as Long Island. Um, oh, shit. I forgot to shout out the Patreons. Forget it. I really got to do this. The patrons. I really got to do a full-blown. I got to give this freebies to everyone, don't I? No, no, no doubt about it, right? Because I got to shout you guys out. How could I miss this stuff? Let me do it now before we go any further. Before I forget more. I'm uh, totally out of it. Jeez. Uh, These are the folks that make this show possible. Abigail T, Adam Q, Alan B, Amanda H, Andrew C, Andrew H, Angela, R.E.R., Baka, Ben, Benji, Bobby M, Brosnan, Champagne Kami, Chris F, Christine H, Cindy G, Colin R, Connor R, Cracker Barrel, C.T. Apollinar, Cynthia J, D, uh, Dan K, excuse me, I did that again. I did that last week, didn't I? Dank Uger, Dave K., David Z., Daya, Doug H., Douglas V., Dragonslayer, Eugene B., Froz K., Free Hat, FTW, Grey Wind, Greg D., Grimm, Hatesh, Igor D., Jack D., Jacob W., Jameson Test, Janelle A., Jasmine H., Jeremy M., JLS, John B., John S., Jonathan B., uh, Joseph H, Joseph R, Joyce M, <clears throat> excuse me, Justin S, Katie S, Kashil, Lisa D, M, Carol, Mariah, Mark S, Max W, Me, Melissa M, Mitch V, Michael B, Michael J, Michael M, Mr. Danks N S, Nicole A, Nam Dae Net, No Style, Death, Paul M, Penelope D, Qster. Rad Dad. Remy, Ryan, Scott R, Seth K, Sean H, Sheena A, Silicone Baby, Stephen R, Stephen S, Steve A, T.M., Tamney G, Terrence R, Hypervisor, This Is Not Pizza, Tina M, Todd K, Tom M, Why That Tie Guy, Wootopian, and Zoe G. Alright, let's start wrapping this bad boy up, right? Um, oh, we got some upstate New Yorkers in the chat. I don't know if you want me to read who you are and blast where you're saying you are, so I'll leave that in the chat without mentioning specifics. Um, Yeah, Upper New York is dealing with this really bad too. Um, Renee says, Matt Apacos didn't read about the anarchist self-care initiative here in Chile. I did not. Zoe says, "There's more than one Chinatown in New York. Yes, there's a Chinatown in Manhattan. There's a Chinatown in Queens. There's a Chinatown in Brooklyn." Right. Lord Ariane says, "You have a Chinatown in Lower Manhattan, and then there's an Asian community in Queens, which really, honestly, is the new Chinatown. I mean, it's it's what it's called." Quarantine on Periscope says, "No one has been hit by coronavirus. It's five G we should be worried about. I will do an episode on this. Uh, obviously, it's a conspiracy." obviously it's bullshit it's bunk it's ridiculous but i'm going i'm going to be doing an episode specifically on that uh, for sure quarantine says the hospitals are empty i'm a nurse everyone is off corona is a cover up for 5g very funny quarantine i'm assuming you're joking because that's not true obviously uh Allen on Periscope, who is not my dad, says America has four times more people than Italy, right? Yes. Lord Arian says Staten Island might may, may as well be Jersey as far as I'm concerned. Ah uh, now my dad jumps in. Connecticut areas hit hardest for those with large population who work in NYC, they commute through Grand Central Station, right? Wait, are you serious, Rad Dad? This can't be. You're joking, right? One of my exes dated Walter Block, which should have been a huge red flag for multiple reasons. Get out of here. I don't believe you. I don't believe you, Rad Dad. <clears throat> Lord Arion says, Anna did not leave TYT she hosted today. Don't know where that came from in the chat, but... Um. yeah, I should reach out to Jamie. and we should do more shows together. Even if I go on Antifada or she comes on here, even if it's not majority report. My dad's talking about how bald he is. <laughs> uh, I'll read this, it's funny. My dad says, tell me about not having hair forever. My last haircut was about a year ago. I can do a short ponytail now, but look stupid with my horseshoe-shaped male pattern baldness. And the reason I read that specifically is because of this great comment that Rad Dad dropped following up. At my dad, it works for Jesse Ventura. (laughs) And I especially had to read that uh, after the rumors that Jesse Ventura is going to run for president. God, that'd be so funny. Champagne Commie says, Matt is so much better at analogies and metaphors than Sam Seder. How so? Mariah says, I didn't watch the QAnon thing live, but I fucking loved it. Thank you, Mariah. I really appreciate that. Maybe what I should do. Now, this is going to require a lot of work because there's not every day one of these movies come out. But maybe every, you know, every week, well, every week would probably be too much. Maybe every two weeks or every, every month, I do an episode of the show where I compile the most insane shit of that month. Maybe, you know, like, I don't know if I could compile an hour, or two and a half hours like we did the other one. Maybe I'll compile 20, 30, 40 minutes. Probably closer to 20, unless it's some real good shit out there. Longer clips, perhaps, even. And we do something like that. Like, you know, clips is the craziest news segments, the craziest uh, uh, interviews, you know, on cable news. That would be fun. Because it's harder with this movie stuff because A, it needs to be uh, uh, public domain or open source or, you know, able to do that without getting a copyright strike like I was able to do for the last one. Oh, funny story. I didn't get a copyright strike for the... QAnon thing with uh Jared but I got a a copyright claim which means the video can stay up but a company claims they own it and would like to make money off of it and take and so I can't make money off of it so I can keep it on my channel I keep keep watching it but they take the money what am I going to do about that fine but here's the interesting thing this guy didn't claim it the filmmaker. My guess, and that's why I was felt safe doing the 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 film. He was not going to ever claim it. He knows that he used a lot of footage without permission, so he's doing it, you know, just as uh, you know, uh, a free commentary, you know, educational resource critique. I got a copyright claim from whatever company owns the rights to that George Carlin clip. That he played in the Q, that the filmmaker of the QAnon film played in the film, so because of that, like what less than a minute George Carlin clip, that company is basically siphoning off uh, any money I made from that. Not a lot, I guarantee you. I, I probably a dollar or two max. I could probably honestly, not much money. Maybe if I got lucky, depending on because it's a pretty long video, I guess maybe like total of five bucks something like that. Who knows? But thanks, Mariah. Long story short, thanks, Mariah. So he says, do the boroughs have their own mayor slash administration? Yes and no. Bill de Blasio is the mayor of New York City, which means he is the mayor of Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn, the Bronx, Down Island. Every borough, though, has a borough president. And, you know, there's a Queensboro president, a Bronx borough president, a Brooklyn borough president, San Island borough president, Manhattan borough president. But their role really is limited. They really seek more so to promote the borough. Uh, I believe they do have some funding capacity, some, some disbursement of funds capacity. How money is spent in that borough that the borough has for events and things like that. But it's a very limited role. It's really more just like a, the title. And each borough has, you know, a a a, uh, a a a DA, their own DA, district attorney, uh their own, you know, everything. Such and the you know, pretty much. But New York City, including all five boroughs, is run by the mayor and then even as I explained the first half even the mayor can for the most part is, is shackled by the, the governor of New York State <clears throat> my dad points out that there's some new names in the Patreon yep uh, Grim says I'm not that bothered by you missing the credit rolls Matt but thanks for doing it now I'm gonna shout you guys out for as long as possible I'll tell you Um uh, Oh, yeah, of course, as Renee points out, uh, New York City Transit also includes a lot of areas of New Jersey. So the transit, uh, <clears throat> the uh, you know, Bridge and Channel Transportation Authority, uh, we run that with New Jersey. So there's also a lot of overlap there in terms of who writes the rules. If you remember Chris Christie shutting down the bridge So there's also New York runs some of that and New Jersey runs some of that. We got to work together with a completely different state for an agency that's straddling both. Umar says, Jesse Ventura body slams Trump out of office. That'd be fun, right? So he says, wait, Jesse Ventura is progressive. He is a Jimmy Dore type. Put it that way. A little bit of a loony left guy. Uh... Some things great on progressive, yes. Other things, he's a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Bit weird in some aspects. He's all over the place in in some areas. Uh, Renee called him an independent libertarian free thinker. Yeah, in some areas, I would say that's correct. Mariah says, Matt, yes, that's a great idea. Gotta stay in touch with the crazies. Ah, oh, you like that idea with the the watching uh, the the craziest news clips of the the week or the month or every other week. You like that. I like that too, I think. Thanks for the idea, Mariah. The, asp- the aspiration to the idea. <clears throat> Grimm says, Let's watch can Dial- da- dialectics break. Can't imagine the situationist who made that would have copyrighted. I could check that out. See how safe that is. Uh, my pop says, You can start that craziest news thing with the Anderson Cooper interview with the Dipsy Las Vegas mayor. That was something else to see, right? Well, I should, yeah. We'll do. We should. Gra- I'll grab that. That's a great idea. Uh, Grim says, "I'm pleasantly pleased at the dissolving of the dirtbag left without Bernie to leech clad from." I'm. I'm not with you on that, actually. Um, I. I hate that whole all all that crap. Oh, wait, hold on. Maybe I misunderstood, because Rad says, Trunan is biting everyone." Grim says, "It's so good." Rad Dad says, today's drama is so good. What happened today? I think I misunderstood um, Grimm's uh, comment. What's going on today? Rad Dad says, Matt, invite me to Discord challenge. Message me on Twitter or on Patreon and I'll get you the Discord link. I've missed this completely. What's going on, Grimm? It's so funny seeing as Liz Fransack has been an Amy Therese fangirl for the past year. What? What's? What am I missing here? This is, uh, for anyone who's not familiar, this is like a leftist podcast personality uh, drama that I usually try to have no interest in because a lot of people I like and even the people I critique, you know, it's sometimes. Um, Champagne Kami says, oof, that's a great term, the loony left. Yeah, there's some, I think Michael termed the best one, which is uh, Michael Brooks, uh, the dum Dumb left. But I really consider that to be like the Seth Rich people, not people who you have uh, who are a little bit less PC or whatever. The dumb dumb left like the Seth Rich truthers left. <clears throat> uh, Champagne says quite the distinction between the dumb dumb left and the loony left. I think that's a, there's a, a, a overlap there. I, I, that's what I was. That's what I meant. I don't know if that'd be two separate things. <clears throat> Hmm. Jesse used to have ties to Alex Jones, but he cut them a few years ago. Who's Jesse? What's going on here? Um Rad right that says a prominent anti fascist account was exposed as working with the Gates Foundation. What? Can you send this to me? Grimm says Looney left is kind of bad, seeing as it comes from Lunacy which was the whole feature of Thought Slime's latest pencer last week. I, I missed, I don't, I'm so out of the loop here. Okay, so Grim is breaking this down for me, and I'm going to leave this here just so people aren't wondering what this all means. I don't know enough about it to have any sort of opinion on the matter, but this here you go. Basically, says Grim, Trunon has been catching shit for being anti-Semitic. When they have been frequently anti Semitic, particularly fixating on the ides that Israel is a pedophile paradise. I don't know. I, I'm not familiar, so I can't. Oh, Umar says Jesse the Body of Ventura used to have connections with Alex the Elephant Jones. Yeah, that's true, but that's the conspiratorial side of Jesse that I, I mentioned. Zoe says he already forgot about Jesse Ventura? Listen. I'm tired. Wait, is Matt not seeing the Super Chats at all? Are there Super Chats coming through? It's not working then. Oh, shit. There we go. I got to... All right. I got to read these right away. I see them now. All right. I'm going to end with the Super Chats. So if you send the Super Chat, you're going to be the most important. We're going to end on your note. Thanks for calling them out, Champagne Kami. They were not coming up on the, the app. I use a third-party app for the chats. That's how I'm able to follow this and go so far back. I'm not on like, the YouTube website because that goes so fast it'd be impossible. Um. <clears throat> so I've got the super chats in front of me. Let me finish these last regular chats. Uh, Mariah says, Regarding podcast drama, I had to block a What's Left Obsessed guy was harassing me on Twitter what does that podcast do to people I'm not even familiar with that one I'm so I'm out of the leftist podcast loop to be honest I know the, the people on Twitter like the person but I in terms of what the content being uh, said on those podcasts I'm so out of the loop um, Grimm says that with some highly speculative conspiracy by brace of Chunan that Gwen Snyder is uncivil on Twitter worked for an NGO that was in some way funded by Gates and Bloomberg. Listen, I have no idea about that if that's true, but I've seen some of what that Gwen person has said about Chapo, and I'm sorry, they're completely... They're A, weirdly obsessed with Chapo, uh, and then B, uh, I think what they're saying is patently false. You can criticize Chapo all you want. You can say they are wrong in certain areas. They are problematic in certain areas. I don't agree with you, Uh but there are criticisms obviously that i, I would i would say okay i don't from my opinion but they're legit uh the idea that there's a chapo to fash pipeline uh i'm sorry i'm 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 sorry that's just ridiculous uh that is ridiculous um i worked with felix and virgil uh at cafe uh they weren't there full time, but I talked with them and and, and and worked with them when they came in, doing the Carl Digler uh character. Um I've spoken with them. I don't know Matt, Will, and Amber other than from Twitter. Um but I personally I wouldn't say I'm friends with them, but I was co-workers and acquaintances with Felix and Virgil. Um and uh, I cannot they're, they're, the, the idea that they'd be behind a out to fash pipeline is ridiculous. Uh if if you don't like how the dirtbag left is edgy and not PC, uh fine. I mean Majority Port isn't PC in many ways either. Uh I would say this show isn't always PC. Um that's a critique, but Chapo and the majority part in this show are, are not, uh, sending people to, uh, go out and slap on, uh, Nazi swastika armbands because we said some edgy jokes every now and then. I mean, that's ridiculous. Oh, what's left is Amy Therese's, uh, podcast, right? Um... Lord Arianne says there may be a Chapo to Communist Pipeline, but I don't know about Fash. Right. I mean, come on. Lord Arianne also points out there is a Democrat to Fash Sympathizer Pipeline. Absolutely right. <clears throat> so he says, to be honest, I don't find Chapo to be that edgy. I think Chapo gets a lot of shit that is not accurate at all. I mean, Chapo is a podcast that I have listened to. And I'm sorry. I, I don't see this... Insaneness that people are shout about whenever Chapo becomes the talk in terms of they they really are not that extreme in terms of what people on Twitter seem to classify them as. I'm sorry, it's just ridiculous. You're absolutely right, Zoe. Grimm says Virgil welcomes Sam Hyde to some comedy gig. You have to understand that in the early 2010s. What was that? That gig was, what, 2011, 2012, 2013? A lot of these edgelord comedians, and I use comedians the same way you used comedian when you said he was at a comedy gig, uh, very uh, generously. They were very well attuned to the dog whistle. I'm telling you, as someone who is there, and so the switch flip on so many people when the whole Gamergate shit started. You could be suspect of some of these guys before that era, the Gamergate time, but it never was fully clear for some of them. There were some who I think got by, and it was like, "Come on, guys, it wasn't a surprise this person." But there were others who was like, "Yeah, yeah." I mean, I'm, I'm as someone who covers the right and has covered Four Chan and stuff. I can say that, yeah, it's suspect if you're still on 4chan, but not everyone on 4chan is a Nazi or a white sem- white supremacist or even a right winger. <laughs> I mean, it's just the truth. You can't, you can't. You're you're doing like I say a lot. You're doing a disservice to understanding what goes on in these, uh, uh, movement, these these racist movements and and subcultures by. uh not fully understanding the the intricacies of these places and things. <clears throat> so that comedy game, was it, Rebel Girl? That was like, what, 2012, 2013? Right? 2014, maybe? <coughs> things were still... <coughs> Excuse me. all right let's get to those super chats I got the super chats this is the last few uh, the last chats of the show and they are the super chats the people who donated money to this show during the YouTube to make sure I get to their uh questions or comments Mariah with the five dollars super chat Mariah thank you so much i you've been Constantly giving me great feedback. I mean, I like even bad feedback. I should say constantly giving me feedback, which is super appreciated. I totally notice it. I want to really thank you. I think you've been a patron for a while too. Um, $5 super chat simply saying, here's one for you. Thank you so much, Mariah. really appreciate it. Uh, Renee with the super chat in, in, what is it? Is this Chilean bucks, right? (laughs) Uh, So how is Cuomo regarding universal testing and quarantine better than Pinera or too low of a bar? Listen, Cuomo has been good at the, uh, the showmanship stuff. And in relation to many other governors especially Republican governors, he's also been very good. I mean, but then also, he has been... Andrew Cuomo. Uh, I'm gonna do an episode on Andrew Cuomo during the pandemic. Like, specifically about Andrew Cuomo and why you shouldn't fall for his bullshit. Um, I'm not sure how pinetta has been. Maybe you can tell me on the next episode. You'll you'll come on as a guest, right? Because, uh, again, I do... I, I am gonna have... A, people on this show who reached out to me and said, "Hey, let's talk about this, that, and this," like who aren't typical guests. I've received your emails and messages and Twitter DMs. I have you guys on a spreadsheet. I'm going through it now. Uh Champagne Kami, the $10 super chat. My god. Thank you, Champagne Kami. As someone who's been covering the right for years, have you noticed how Chapo is a pipeline of left to fascism? I'm joking. Oh, I should have read that before we got into it. But I think that is the perfect way to end the show. <laughs> uh, all right, folks. That is today's program. I really don't know what I'm doing with this second half. I think part of it should definitely go with the first half. But then there's this other part that shouldn't. Uh, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll just give the whole thing to everybody. All right, everyone. See you all next time on Doomed.